God has given man such a large spiritual appetite that it must be fed daily in order to satisfy it. As it relates to spiritual food, God does not play games. God never plays games, but most certainly not with spiritual food. I think a lot of people think, well, I have to do this, 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 and this, and then God will, will give me the revelation in his word. He'll give me anointed prayer times. Listen, God's not playing games with spiritual food. He brings spiritual food right to the doorstep of man's soul on every level. And I'm gonna show it to you. Anybody ready to go to work this morning? We have a lot of ground to cover. Where are my note takers at? Oh, 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 okay, all right. Well, uh, don't get frustrated with me, note takers. There's a lot of notes to take in this message. You're probably gonna have to go back and watch this one online and just hit pause if you really like to write down the one-liners and all that stuff. This is, uh, the best way to describe this message is it's like broccoli, asparagus, uh, spinach, and a baked potato with nothing on it but salt and pepper, all right? We're continuing our series on the seven mandates, and I told you that we're gonna walk through all the mandates we've covered as we cover a new one, so let's backtrack, starting with mandate number one. What's mandate number one? We must be a presence-driven church. Mandate number two? We must be a historically generous church. Mandate number three? We must be a caring church, which connects to mandate number four. If we're gonna be a caring church, then we must be a feeding church. If you've got a Bible, flip to Deuteronomy chapter eight. That'll be our text for today. While we're covering mandate number four, we're doing a lot more than that. What we're really talking about is your spiritual appetite. But in a way you might not see coming. Let me ask you a question. How many have ever felt spiritually stuck before? Anybody? Okay, great, yeah, a lot of us. Many of us think that being spiritually stuck is a spiritual warfare thing. It's actually, in my opinion, not a spiritual warfare thing. Being spiritually stuck is a spiritual appetite thing. And I believe the Bible lays out some key ingredients that will help us to move forward when we feel spiritually stuck because God desires each of us to be constantly moving forward. Forward progress is how we build his kingdom. And if I were your enemy, I would try and get you to stay stuck. So we've got a lot of ground to cover, all right? By the time I get to the last two points, I'm just gonna have to read the scriptures and lay it in your lap and you're gonna have to run with it. Otherwise, we're gonna be here till after the 11 o'clock service starts, all right? All right, five points. Here's the first point as we talk about spiritual appetite. Point number one, physical man was created for spiritual food. Physical man was created for spiritual food. Because we are physical beings, God often uses physical things to teach us spiritual truths. Deuteronomy chapter eight, we're gonna read two verses. Moses is talking to the people of Israel about their time in the wilderness. And this is actually going to teach us much about spiritual appetites. Let's read together Deuteronomy 8, starting in verse 2. Remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness for 40 years, humbling you and testing you to prove your character 
and to find out whether or not you would obey his commands? Yes, he humbled you by letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna, a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. He did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. God, via Moses, is helping us understand not just some things about physical appetite. While manna was a physical food, it was revealing a spiritual truth about the way God made us. Manna was something physical God used to teach us a spiritual reality. And if you were to boil this entire message down to three elements, I think we see all three of these in Deuteronomy 8. Here's the first one. Man was created with a spiritual appetite in his soul. Think about it. You wouldn't be hungry if you didn't have an appetite, right? If you didn't have an appetite, if God didn't give you an appetite, you could go for years and years and years without eating a thing, if you could still survive that way. Second, man's flesh will eat anything to satisfy every craving. This is Egypt. Remember what the people of Israel say? After they get manna for a while, they start griping to God. Remember what they say? We should just go back to bondage and slavery where we were beaten and chained because at least there we got better food. Just try and wrap your mind around that. But see, they're not the foolish ones. They're actually showing what our flesh is like. The human condition as such that we, if we think something is the easy way, even if it's the worst way, we will take the easy route. And what they were saying to God was, hey, this whole bread from heaven thing is great, but if the price of admission is that we have to wander through the wilderness for four decades, we out, and we're going back to slavery. This is the flesh. Then here's the third thing. The creator of man designed the perfect meal plan for man. This is what manna shows us. Manna reveals heaven's meal plan for man. Remember in Matthew chapter four, Jesus is being tempted by Satan and Satan goes, if you really are the son of God, why don't you take those stones and whip up some bread? Jesus had been fasting for 40 days. How does Jesus respond? He actually quotes what Moses says in Deuteronomy 8. So if you think that this is just some Old Testament Moses principle, it's not. It's a spiritual reality. That's why Jesus quotes it in Matthew 4. Jesus answers Satan and says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Man was created with a physical appetite, but he was created for spiritual food. Matthew 6, verse 11, remember when Jesus is asked by his disciples, teach us how to pray. In the middle of the prayer, Jesus drops a dime related to spiritual food, not just physical food. What does he say? Give us this day, today, our what? Daily bread. God has given man such a large spiritual appetite that it must be fed daily in order to satisfy it. That brings us to point number two. 
the spiritual appetite of man has levels. I believe there are three levels of spiritual appetite, and I'm going to show them to you. Here's the first one. The appetite of the lost. This is pre-Jesus. Every human, I believe, is born with a spiritual appetite, even before they find Christ. Here's how I would describe the appetite of the lost person. An appetite where anything will do and much is consumed, but nothing seems to satisfy. Romans 8 verse 5 says, For those who are living according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh which gratify or satisfy the body, the physical appetite, not the spiritual appetite. This is what I would say is level one of spiritual appetite, the appetite of the lost. Second level is the appetite of the saved, the appetite of the believer. Here's how I describe the saved appetite. It's an appetite where Christ is a person's ultimate satisfaction, but their flesh still has all too many consistent cravings, which at times still seem to control them. I'm not going to ask anybody to raise their hand and say, that sounds like me. But I think that's a lot of people who are followers of Jesus Christ. The picture is kind of one foot in and one foot out. Paul describes it fairly well, talking about the things I want to do, I don't do, the things I don't want to do, I do do, and it's all do-do. That was a cheesy old pastor's joke right there. This is the picture of the believer and their appetite. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 20 through 24. Carry on the conversation. It's the same conversation in two different letters. What I just read in Romans 8 The same conversation is happening in in Ephesians 4, but I'm showing you the next part of the conversation. Paul says, but that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you've heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew. This is an ongoing, daily Activity. Let the Holy Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes, and this includes our appetites. Put on your new nature. With that comes a new appetite, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Okay, level one, the appetite of the lost. Level two, the appetite of the believer, the appetite of the saved. Here's level number three of spiritual appetites, the mature appetite. The appetite of the spiritually mature and maturing follower of Jesus Christ. Here's how I describe that appetite. It's an appetite where Christ alone satisfies their soul because fleshly cravings are consistently crucified and constantly coming up short. Here's the the spiritual diet of a mature and maturing believer. They have tasted enough of the good stuff that the cheap stuff just don't do it no more. Have you ever gone on a diet before at the beginning of a year and it was like really strict and you felt like a million bucks and you felt so good that you actually just kind of kicked out all the sugar in your diet? You felt incredible. Some of you are feeling convicted right now because you're like pressing that diet ended three weeks ago, but I tried my hardest. But you know, when you're, you're like right in the middle of it and you're just feeling so good and your mind is sharp and you're like, 
I don't need sugar ever again. And then you think better of it because you're like, no, because I really do need Bluebell homemade vanilla ice cream every once in a while. But what your body is telling you is, you were actually designed to do better with this and you don't need any of that. Okay, the mature believer, once they start getting more and more of the things of God, the sugary sticks of sin, just don't do it anymore. It doesn't mean they're perfect, nobody is. It's an ongoing work. What we're talking about is the spiritual appetite. Galatians 5.16, Paul says, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. This is what life as a mature believer looks like. The Holy Spirit's guiding our lives, even our appetites. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. He goes on in verse 24 to say, and those who belong to Christ, have, to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature and everything it craves. The passions, the appetites, all of it. They crucified their sinful appetites to the cross. Yes, a mature believer still has a bent towards sin because we are broken humans in a fallen world. But a mature believer has had enough of the things of God that they may stumble into it every once in a while, but they're not craving it the way they used to. That brings us to point number three. Let's talk about a lack of spiritual food and the dangers it brings. Point three, lack of spiritual food brings problems. Three problems since there are three areas, all right? Here's the, the first area. Remember the level one was the appetite of the lost. Here's the problem that a lack of spiritual food brings to the appetite of the lost, pre-Jesus, emptiness. A lack of spiritual food creates an emptiness. This is the problem of the lost. Man was created with intense hunger pains for heaven and a completely empty spiritual stomach. If you don't know Jesus yet and you keep doing really stupid stuff in an attempt to try and satisfy and fill the void of your soul, don't look at what you're doing as though it were wrong. I'm not saying it's right. What I mean is don't look at you and go, something is wrong with me. No, 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 no. You're actually quite normal. This is what happens to every human being before, before Jesus. They look for anything to fill the void that only he can fill. So instead of looking at yourself, if you don't know Jesus yet, as not just Savior, not just Lord, but also as friend, don't just look at yourself as, as something's wrong with me. No, 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 see it this way. You're incomplete. That's all. So of course, every person in this room before Jesus did stupid stuff, some of us worse than others, but in an attempt to fill the void, but we didn't understand the void we were created with only has one solution. His name is Jesus. But when there is a lack of spiritual food for the lost, it creates emptiness. How can you spot emptiness? Here's what emptiness looks like. 
constant feeding on the food of the world, yet never having or getting enough. Emptiness is filling and filling and filling, yet never being full. I need another million, even though I already have three. I need another wife, even though I've had four. I need another company, even though I have six. I need more sex, even though I have it every day. I need more drugs, even though I have more than I can afford. I need more booze, even though I have a cabinet filled with bottles. More and more and more, and yet never, ever feeling full. Matthew chapter 16, verse 26, Jesus responds to this way of living. He says, for what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world? Preston's paraphrase. Jesus says, what good is it, Preston, if a human could have everything on the earth they think could satisfy them, and yet they lose their soul? Jesus says, what good is all that stuff if it doesn't fill the void I created you with, which only I, Jesus speaking, only I can fill. None of that means jack because none of it will fix the problem. Whatever you feed on from the world will never leave you anything but empty. Here's the second problem that comes with a lack of spiritual food. Okay, so that was level one. Now we move to level two of appetite. What's the problem when there's a lack of spiritual food for the believer? Here's what I would say, and it might surprise you. Garbage. Garbage is the problem the believer faces when they're not getting enough spiritual food. Anytime your spirit starves spiritually, your flesh will want to feed sinfully. Anytime a believer is not getting enough of what they were created to need spiritually, there will always be a temptation to look for the low-hanging fruit of sin. Human beings have a spirit. We are not spirits, but we have a spirit, lowercase s. I'm not talking about the Holy Spirit. Believers have the Holy Spirit dwelling within them, but we also have a lowercase s spirit. And our spirit is the part of us, of every human, which enables them to connect intimately and relationally to God. And because we have spirits, our spirits have an appetite. And the Bible talks about the difference between the appetite of the flesh and the appetite of the spirit both the Holy Spirit, but also my spirit, lowercase s. Romans 8.16 tells us that the Holy Spirit bears witness with our lowercase s spirit to confirm that we, were, we are children of God. I want to show you in Galatians chapter 5, verse 17, this ongoing war between the two appetites. All right? Now remember, the Holy Spirit helps me know what my spirit is needing to feed on. So if you've ever heard that voice, hey, go in and pray. That's the Holy Spirit saying, 
you're running a little empty spiritually and something's about to happen that you don't see coming that you need more in your tank spiritually. So the Holy Spirit says, go get you some. All right, that's not just my mind thinking it. The Holy Spirit communicates with my spirit to help me to understand what I need spiritually, all right? So remember that as we read Galatians chapter five, verse 17. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Now, if you're a believer, here's what you need to remember. It's exponentially easier to satisfy your flesh than it ever will be to satisfy your spirit. It is easy to satisfy the flesh. It is a lot more work to satisfy your spirit. I'll try and illustrate it with the difference between fast food and a home-cooked meal. Anybody ever done a study about the origination of fast food in our country? Little trivia, all right? Little trivial pursuit. Anybody know the first fast food restaurant in our country? Nope. White Castle. Anybody know the year? 1916. Over 100 years ago, they were selling hamburgers for five cents. Let's bring back event day. <laughs> Having two teenage boys would be cheap. I get inflation, I understand. The whole idea behind fast food was if you don't have the time to make a home-cooked meal, because in those days, a home-cooked meal was the thing. Everyone gathered around the table, and it wasn't just one night a week. It was every night. That's how they ate. Then fast food shows up on the scene and it gives people a little bit of a shortcut to, to say, hey, if you've run out of time, you don't have to go hungry. We'll take care of your family's meal. Here's the problem. And, and I'm not taking any shots at fast food restaurants. I love me some Chick-fil-A. I'm convinced that's God's favorite fast food restaurant. <laughs> and one of our elders owns the Chick-fil-A, so I gotta make sure I stay in good standing. But not every fast food restaurant takes your health into consideration. If you did a study on the ingredients they use, on the shortcuts they take, you would quickly learn they're not really in it for your health. They're in it for your money. And they are providing you with a very easy shortcut to where you can still eat while not doing what needs to be done to make the meal. On paper, it sounds genius. But let me ask you a question. What would you look like if three meals a day, seven days a week, you were eating fast food from the most unhealthy fast food restaurants on the planet? Okay, listen to me. This is what a believer looks like when they decide not to feed their spirit with home-cooked meals and do the fast track and just get a quick hit by feeding their flesh. Let me say it like this. Sin is like fast food for a believer who isn't getting the spiritual soul food they were created to need. 
Proverbs 27 verse seven says, a satisfied soul loathes the honeycomb. Another way to say it is, doesn't need the sweet stuff. But to a hungry soul, every bitter thing tastes sweet. This is what a believer looks like when they're not getting the spiritual food they were created to need. I wish I would have known this principle when I was younger in ministry. You know how many counseling appointments I've been through with people who are saying, Preston, I'm just getting my butt kicked. I don't know what to do. I'm just, I, I, I'm just getting pounded. This is it. Listen, I, you're wanting me to help you do something that only this book can do. So people are coming going, rescue me. But actually what they're saying is, I'm just pulling through the drive-thru. Give me a quick hit, do the work for me, and tell me what I'm supposed to do and I'll, I'll figure out if I want to apply it or not. It's not going to work. You need to get the spiritual food God created you to run on. That brings us to the third level. Uh, remember, the appetite of the lost, appetite of the believer, now the appetite of the spiritually mature and maturing. What's the problem which is presented by a lack of spiritual food with the mature believer? A lack of energy. A lack of energy. I know some people think that the more we eat, the more tired we get. We kind of think like Thanksgiving, you know? You, you, and I don't really like to use words like gorge, um, or binge, I like to use words like steward on Thanksgiving. If you steward Thanksgiving well, you get really tired. Well, that's actually because if you ate a lot of turkey, there's something called tryptophan in turkey and it makes you sleepy, okay? So most people kind of think, well, the more I eat, the more sleepy I get. You know what's also true? If you don't eat for a sustained period of time, you also get sleepy. Your body gets physically sleepy. Do you know why? It's because your blood sugar is too low. And so when you don't eat, if you were to go a couple of days without eating, you would actually be sleepier than if you were eating full meals. Okay, this is the spiritual picture of the mature believer who isn't getting what they need as it relates to spiritual food. If you were to do a study on Matthew chapter 24, Matthew chapter 25, Matthew chapter 26, here's what you would see. Matthew 24, almost all of it is in red letters, meaning almost the entire chapter just so happens to be the words of Jesus. Matthew 25 is 100% red letters. And Matthew 26, it, there's red letters, but you see a theme in the back half of Matthew 24, all of 25 and the first part of 26. And here's the theme. Jesus is laying out a concern he has for his bride in the last days. You know what it appears to be? Jesus' number one concern appears to be the sleepiness of his church. It's all he talks about in the end of 24, all of 25, and the beginning of 26. He says, I am concerned my bride is going to be too sleepy. For mature believers, here's what he's saying. A day will come when you will have tasted the finer things of God, but you will allow yourself to go through a spiritual dry spell in such a way that you will be sleepy when I need you to have the most energy. 
Matthew 25, Jesus talks about the, the uh, 10 virgins and the oil and one of the parts, and this is a picture of the church in the last day, Jesus is telling the story. One of the statements Jesus makes, he says, when the bridegroom was delayed, what happened to the 10 virgins? Those who were ready and those who weren't ready, the same thing happened to all 10. When the bridegroom was delayed, all 10, the whole church got sleepy. We get into Matthew 26, Jesus is going to pray before he's about to be arrested and crucified. And he says to the three, his inner circle, Peter, James, and John, he says, please come away with me, keep watch and pray. Here's what Jesus is saying. There's something I need you to do, but in order to be able to pull it off and execute it, I need you to go into prayer, spiritual food. What happens? Three straight times, they fall asleep. Now, what you need to remember, anytime something is repeated three times in scripture, it's for emphasis. It's to drive a point home. Jesus, one of the, the famous comments Jesus makes about a sleepy believer is this. The spirit is willing. What's the rest of the sentence? But the flesh is weak. Because the flesh is weak, I need to feed it the spiritual food so that my spirit can walk in partnership with the spirit. Anytime Jesus asks me to do something, he's not asking anybody else to do. There's a funny moment in this story at the end, just as he's about to be arrested, the third time Jesus comes back and it's like he's exasperated and he goes, my word, you're falling asleep again. And he kind of just resigns to the fact and he says, fine, go back to sleep, but get up, we must be going. This is a funny little moment that I don't think is that funny. I think it's actually a commentary and a reminder for us. That day is coming. Preston, a day is coming on the earth where I'm gonna need you to step in and do some things on on my behalf more so than any other period in your life and maybe even on the earth heretofore. But if you're not feeding your spirit, you'll most likely be feeding your flesh. And if you feed your flesh, I can't use that. This is not a game, this is not a drill. This is the life of a follower of Jesus Christ. That brings us to point number four. Some of you I know are asking the question, then what is the food? Let's cover it. Here's point number four. God delivers man's spiritual meal plan to his soul's doorstep. I know it's a wordy point. I'll give you the picture. But just remember this. As it relates to spiritual food, God does not play games. God never plays games, but most certainly not with spiritual food. I think a lot of people think, well, I have to do this, 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 and this, and then God will will give me the revelation in his word. He'll give me anointed prayer times. Listen, God's not playing games with spiritual food. He brings spiritual food right to the doorstep of man's soul on every level. And I'm gonna show it to you. The first level, okay, this is gonna sound very elementary, but it's not. This is essential that we understand this, all right? The spiritual food at level one, the appetite of the lost, the only spiritual food that will satisfy the Son of God. 
the Son of God. John 6, 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I love when he says I am. I was trying to give some emphasis because I think it was a swaggery moment. I am the bread of life. That was a little bit more like Kramer, not like probably what Jesus did. <laughs> I am the bread of life. Whoever, whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. He's not talking about a physical meal. There is no physical meal that could satisfy a human's appetite physically forever. He's talking about a spiritual meal, and he says, I am the bread of life. Jesus is saying, when you receive me as your savior and establish me as your Lord, I am Lord, the Lord of Lords, but when you establish me as your Lord, I then become your primary satisfaction. Christ is the soul's ultimate satisfaction. Now here's what I love about what Jesus is saying in John 6. He says, I am the bread of life. Okay, can I give you Preston's paraphrase? All right, a little swaggery, slightly sarcastic paraphrase. Jesus says, I am heaven's most perfect carbohydrate. <laughs> now let me illustrate. Have you ever gone to a really nice restaurant? And uh, like, like, let's say it's your favorite restaurant, so you know what you're gonna get. And the entrees are like this big. Anybody ever been to a restaurant like that? You know, like the good food, but the tiniest servings on planet Earth. Like there's no way that entree is going to satisfy your appetite completely, right? So have you ever noticed what they do? What do they do at the beginning of the meal? They bring you loads of bread. Do you know why? Have you ever had that feeling that like when you ate bread, it was expanding in your belly? Anybody ever have that? Okay. There, I don't know if you know this. I've actually done a study on this in a very scientific manner, even though I'm not a scientist. There are two things that expand in your stomach, bread and IHOP pancakes. <laughs> and I am qualified to make this assertion. I don't know the last time you went to IHOP. By the way, if you ever want to meet with me and it's taking a little bit too long, just do a study on when IHOP does all-you-can-eat pancakes there is a 65% chance you will run into me in some IHOP in the city of Scottsdale during all you can eat week. And I would take my boys and we will, we will eat the all you can eat pancakes and after five I'm like, I'm good, I can, I can hang with these boys. And then like it, it, these pancakes start occupying more space in my belly. It's like expando cakes. This is actually what Jesus is saying. I'm the meal that once you get a taste of me, I start to fill all of you. And there is no other meal on planet Earth that will ever satisfy you completely the way I, as the bread of life, will satisfy you. The only spiritual food that will satisfy the appetite of the lost is the Son of God. And just in case, if you don't know Jesus yet, as friend, as Lord and as Savior? And you might be thinking, well, that's for a very small group of people, not for everybody. Let me read you one verse, Revelation 3.20. Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. What door? The door of every heart. The heart is the door. I stand at the door and knock if anyone. He doesn't say if 
whomever I want. He says, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Here's what Jesus is saying. I ring earth's most important dinner bell and I do it at the door, at the door of every heart. What's the meal, Jesus? Jesus says, I am the meal. I ring the dinner bell and I feed the appetite. Second level, what's the spiritual food for the believer? Starts with the word of God. Not gonna spend a ton of time here. First Peter chapter two, verse two says, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. One of the things I hear from time to time from new believers is this, this book is too complicated for me. Well, here's what the Bible is described as in the Bible, as meat and as milk. Here's what it means. Once you become a believer, the spirit of the living God is living inside of you. And wherever you are and come and arrive at this text, the Holy Spirit will meet you there. And so if milk is what you can handle as a new believer, milk is what he will feed. But the more time you spend in the word, it won't stay milky. It will always end up being meat for your soul. My favorite thing after I work out is a very specific kind of protein shake. I was talking about this at the men's night the other night, and, and I felt very judged by the protein shake that I drink. Uh, because they were like, is it this? And it was like some frou-frou, healthy, uh, you know, protein drink. I, no, no judgment. I was like, no, it's not that. They're like, is it this? And it was like some expensive, no, no, it's not that. It's a protein shake, a shamrock protein shake I get at Costco. And it tastes like chocolate milk with only six grams of sugar. It's not flashy, but I, I drink after every workout about 60 grams of protein because I've learned when my muscles work, they need to be fed. And so I down that chocolate milk. Listen to me, the more you are doing for the kingdom of God, the more milk as a believer you better be getting. When people sit down with you, they don't need your perspective or your wisdom. You know what they need? You breathe it in, you breathe it out. The word of God is the spiritual food for the believer. The word of God always creates more hunger for God. And that leads us to the third type of food for the third level, the mature or maturing believer. What is the food? So if the food for the lost is the son of God, the food for the believer is the word of God, what's the food for the mature believer? This one might surprise you. The will of God. The will of God. John 1.22 says, don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. This, I believe, is distinguishing between a new believer and a mature believer. A new believer is just getting the word into them. And I tell people, it doesn't even matter if you understand it all. Just binge on it. Get it in you. But scripture also says, don't stay there. Don't, don't just hear it. You got to get to a place where you do something with it. John chapter 4, verse 34, the disciples come to Jesus and they're like, presence paraphrase, you good, bro? You hungry? 
Because it's been a while since you've had some food. You know what Jesus says in response? Jesus goes, oh, no, 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 I'm good. Because my food is to do the will of the Father and to finish his work. Jesus says, I'm giving you a picture of what it looks like to be feeding as a mature believer. My appetite is satisfied, not just by eating the word, but by doing something with it, doing the will of my Father. What is the will of God? The, the most simple way I can describe the will of God, the will of God is simply living out the word of God as you're led by the Holy Spirit. This is the appetite. This is the spiritual food which satisfies the appetite of the mature believer. Muscle grows with nutrients and with use. I could get all the protein shakes that, that I could drink, but if I am not working out, then my muscle is not actually feeding on the protein. Muscle which isn't used atrophies. This is what we all need to remember as believers who are endeavoring to mature. If I don't use it, I lose it. And not in a way where he takes it away from me. It's just as though it's sitting on a shelf until I pick it back up and do something with it. This brings us to the last point. Point number five, the byproduct of supernatural satiation. Say that five times fast. What is the byproduct of being spiritually satisfied? Our appetites being satisfied. Two things, first, readiness. First Peter 3.15 says, worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. If I am not feeding on God's word, then when someone asks for my hope, my explanation, when it's disconnected from this book, isn't gonna do anybody very much good. I can tell you my story, but without the logs that come from the word of God, that fire is barely a spark. But when I am buried in this book and someone asks me about my hope as a believer, it's like a bonfire for their soul. Why? Because I've been putting logs on that bad boy. Chapter by chapter by chapter by chapter. One of the most important things that happens when we are filled spiritually with our appetite is we're ready. In season and out of season. Last night, somebody was telling me, I've been really trying to do this and I just don't feel like God's responding. And here's what I said. There was a year where Timmy and I, in a 12-month period of time, between the two of us, read over 10,000 chapters of scripture. And you would think that like if you were binging that much on the word, that there were all these holy moments. Both of us were off the radar. No one even knew our names. And it wasn't until we had hindsight that we really understood what God was doing. He gave us a picture that we were digging a well of living water with God's word. And every verse, every chapter we were putting into this well. And you know what I've learned? Every meeting I have ever sat across the table with someone where God wanted to speak to them through me, I find myself, I find the Spirit of God almost putting his hand on my hand, reaching down into that well and saying, remember that verse you read that one time? 
What did Jesus say? The Holy Spirit will bring to your remembrance what I've said. He is the word. Readiness. When we are full spiritually, we are ready for anything God asks us to do. And that brings us to the last thing. The other byproduct of being spiritually full and satisfied is we can run. First Kings 19, Elijah just had one of the biggest showdowns on the planet. Now he's on the run from Jezebel. He's exhausted. He's wiped. He even asks the Lord to kill him. He wants to commit suicide. He is exhausted and exasperated. And the angel comes to him and says, hey, there's a journey you must go on. But if you don't eat, you're not going to be able to take this journey. So he gets up, he eats, falls back asleep. Angel wakes him back up and says, if you don't eat more, you're not going to be able to take this journey. There's a journey God wants you to make. But if you don't eat this, and it wasn't just a physical meal, and here's how you know, because once he had eaten the meal a second time, he had enough energy to run for 40 days. He wasn't fed physically nearly as much as he was fed spiritually. Here's the point. I've been trying to tell you for several years, a mountain was coming for us as a church. I've been doing the best I can to tell you without hyping it up. And now we're here. There is something God is not about to ask us to do. He's asking us now to take this hill. And for most, it's a hill larger. I'm not talking about the size of the church. I'm talking about the size of the responsibility God is entrusting to us. It is larger and weightier than anything he's asked you to carry before. And just like Elijah, God is saying, if you don't eat, you can't make this journey. See, you might have thought at the beginning of this message when I said we must be a feeding church that I was going to spend 45 minutes talking about we must feed from the pulpit. And yes, we must. But what I'm really saying is we must be a church with a voracious appetite for the things of God. If we are to be the church he desires us to be, every one of us, not just our pastor or our staff, every one of us, every week of our lives, must have an ever-increasing spiritual appetite for the things of God. And I believe, just like Elijah, if we'll eat it up, to the extent we eat it up, he will send us out to build his kingdom and bring him more glory.